morning. This is Money Talk uh, with James Ross. It's now uh, 18 minutes to 9 o'clock. In your money, Carolyn Wright speaks with the founder of a huge homegrown success story about what he sees as the key to widespread adoption of Web3 technology. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. We've heard a lot recently about the rise of Web3 technology, but not all of us are even beginning to use it. So the big question is, what could drive that change? Could it be something that many of us enjoyed, like computer gaming? Well, I'm going to find out from a man who hopefully knows a bit better than me. That's Yatsu, who is the chairman and co-founder of Hong Kong-based Animoca Brands. The company and its affiliates publish a wide range of both blockchain and traditional games. So first off, tell us a little bit about Animoca. What do you do and what are the sort of projects you're involved in? First of all, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Animoca Brands is a company that has been known really for making investments in the Web3 space, but also we are builder operators. So we're probably most known for basically building, operating and owning the Sandbox, for instance, or projects like Rev Racing, Phantom Galaxies, or most recently, sort of educational projects like TinyTap. We are also the launch partners for ApeCoin, for instance. And we are also one of the biggest shareholders in companies like OpenSea, Axie Infinity, Yuga Labs and Cool Cats and all of these NFT projects that you may have heard of in the space. We also have in some total something like over 400 investments in the Web3 space that we've been doing since 2017, 2018. And really, I think the big vision and mission for us is to promote and grow the space around what we describe as true digital property rights, meaning that for the first time, we actually have agency and sovereignty over our data, and we can actually sort of have the ability to partake in the value that is generated from that. We think of Web3 as that natural evolution of the internet. And perhaps just, I think, um, one of the things that's so critical is that we think it provides a way in which we can actually have more equity in the space as well, meaning that uh, the people in Web3 own something of this. I think actually some of our listeners could benefit from learning a bit more about this. Can you explain the difference between Web2 and Web3? Because you talked about things like sovereignty of data there. And I think that's one of the the key aspects that many see Web3 offering that Web2 doesn't. How would you explain it in a nutshell? It'd be good to sort of start with the principle of Web1, right? Back in the sort of, let's call it 90s and the idea of basically the internet of read, right? So basically where you can really democratize access to information. Everyone could sort of read what was on the web. And then, of course, in Web 2, this is for the rise of the social web, where people were not only able to read from the web, but they were also able to write to that web. And so actually generating value by contributing. And you saw things like Facebook and Instagram and so on. But there was a problem in Web 2, which is that in order to contribute to the network, who owned that network? And the network actually ended up being owned by companies like Facebook, for instance, or Amazon or Google, you know, these centralized platforms that would store the data. And we would basically contribute value to these networks. And the crazy thing is that as these networks become valuable, then they sell it back to us in the form of things like advertising, meaning that we're basically digitally colonized. And we sort of live in this sort of digital feudal age, as it were. And so Web3 solves this because data then becomes a public good because it resides on blockchain. And now we actually have a way in which we can own it. And so really what Web3 is about is the web of ownership. It takes that natural evolution from the things that we can read and that we contribute to in the form of write is now something that we can now finally own, which we couldn't do in the original paradigm because we didn't have the technological approach to do that. And of course, from that, because we now have ownership of our digital assets and ownership of our digital data, we can then from there on create additional benefits as property rights have done in the physical world. Let's move on to how Web3 is going to take over the world, maybe. 
what do you say would be the key to widespread adoption of Web3 technology? And is something like gaming absolutely intrinsic to that happening? Well, one of the reasons why we believe gaming is so important to generally Web3 adoption is because in a nutshell, gaming is already probably the one parallel, the quasi-metaversal or pre-metaversal space where people already have ownership of digital items, except they don't really own it. They're renting it from game companies, but they believe they own it, right? For instance, you talk to our kids and they own some skins in their favorite games, for instance, they're not going to think that they're renting it. They're going to say, I own this already. So we think of that as a natural evolution of that. And there's 3.4 billion people who play games in the world today, which is basically two thirds of the world's internet. So that for us feels like the low hanging fruit in terms of adoption. And they would most readily sort of adopt it. The paradigm though, that needs to shift isn't so much a technological one. I think the technology already exists to allow that onboarding. Actually what's needed to become a full onboarded Web3 user though, is financial literacy. So what Web1 did, it created a kind of information democracy, if you will. Everyone had access to information and could therefore disintermediate the people who were gated away access to exclusive information. And therefore professions were built and businesses were built around the gating of that information. Well, in Web3, because of ownership, the gating is actually really about democratizing also knowledge of financial literacy. Most of the world today isn't financially literate. I mean, we have a bank account, but we don't know anything about investing. We don't know anything about value. We don't understand what that is. In fact, we don't teach our children any of this. So by the time they actually become adults, they actually end up really, if you think about it, becoming to some effect pawns to the financial world because only a very small percentage of the world actually understands how money works. And as a result, they tend to basically center around the power structures that they have and, and run the world, really, if you think about it, right? And so the next level is to basically democratize financial literacy, which is what Web3 can do through ownership. That's when we will feel like we've really reached true adoption, not just having a crypto wallet and being there, but actually understanding value, investing, monetary systems and economic systems, which I think is within everyone's grasp because if we can teach everyone algebra, can teach our kids how to do math, then we could certainly teach them how to do compound interest and how to think about investing and risk. Let's talk a bit more about money. Now, you guys invest in a lot of different projects. How healthy do you think levels of investment in Web3 technology are nowadays? Actually, it's very healthy. I mean, I think in some ways you could say that it feels like AI has stolen some thunder, but in reality, the amount of Web3 investing that takes place is still huge. One of the things that I think people forget is investing isn't just the domain of venture capital. And if you look at, for instance, like Hong Kong or Japan or the Middle East, there's a healthy appetite of investing that's happening in the Web3 blockchain space in general. So there's no shortage of that. But there's other things. Web3 could be thought of really what we describe as the open metaverse, really as a construction of these new national economies. And in those national economies, they have these things called DAOs, the decentralized autonomous organizations. The value of the treasuries of these DAOs today, actually at the start of this year, was over $12 billion. Now, the difference though is that this $12 billion isn't maintained by a central authority or a government or a company. It's maintained by the community itself. So if you're building and contributing something to that community, you can get money from them and you can build. And this is how other projects sort of continue to sustain the ecosystem developments as we see things as happening, for instance, in ApeCoin or even with independent foundations that support Ethereum or Immutable or Polygon or Flow. I mean, there's ways in which you can basically receive capital for projects there. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs who don't see this, it's like, it feels like a parallel universe, but they could really build their businesses, obtaining funding from a pool of capital 
that is actually larger than probably most venture capitalists put together, right? And this number is only simply growing. Now, you are a Hong Kong company, and the Hong Kong government's right. been pretty keen to push the city as a, a Web3 hub. How important do you think that is as well to the development of the technology and to the wider community? First of all, I think it's both fantastic and amazing that Hong Kong is taking a leadership role. I think it's not a surprise to me at the end of the day, though, that Hong Kong would take that role. I go back to this principle about Web3, right? Web3 basically being around financial inclusion and understanding financial systems. And what is Hong Kong? Hong Kong is at a financial center. Certainly pre-COVID was, uh, and it's still a top financial center, but certainly has sort of lost out a little bit because of all the events that happened in the last few years. So how does Hong Kong come back and reclaim sort of that top dog position? And that's basically to be a leader in digital assets. Now, that in itself may not seem so outlandish because if you consider how much time we spend online and the value that we already perceive in the digital space, it's probably most of our time. I mean, just think of what we do first thing in the morning, for instance, we're probably on our phone. We already have our attention already on the digital space. So then why shouldn't we own the space in that and then create all the benefits that ownership has, like capital formation, financial services, and everything around that? And Hong Kong wants to be at the center of that. Now, what are the other places in the world that are really keen on this? Well, you know, places like Singapore, for instance, uh, they were very early to adopt this. Japan, for instance, you know, have been really sort of aggressive pushing this. Dubai, right, UAE, basically, you know, have really been aggressive pushing this. What do they all have in common? They're all major financial centers in the world. Even the UK is looking at it in sort of very progressive ways, right? So there is a correlation. Essentially, markets that tend to be, broadly speaking, very capitalist-minded and sort of very free market-minded are the ones who also are most drawn to the appeal and the potential of Web3 and the digital asset space. The other thing, of course, is that because of the political landscape, uh, which isn't necessarily shared amongst all Americans, but the political landscape really, which is drawn between party lines, is that right now there's been a more negative sentiment around specifically crypto and Web3 in the US, which is the opportunity for places like Hong Kong and Southeast Asia and Japan and the Middle East to actually take leadership. Um, one other thing you have to also consider is that most of the world today is actually existing in a quasi-American type of technology sort of um, sort of paradigm. I mean, what do we use in Hong Kong? What do we use in Japan? It's like Facebook, it's LinkedIn, it's Google, right? At the end of the day, we are subjects to American technology. But with Web3, there's a paradigm shift where we can actually, because of its nature, of decentralized nature, it's not necessarily sort of stuck to one country or nation, but more importantly, it can emerge from all over the world. Really great to be able to get the opportunity to speak to you. Thank you so much for the time today. That's Yatsu, who is chairman and co-founder of Animoca Brands, a Hong Kong-based company. Thank you for having me.